0: Players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering, Crop Rotation, Life to
1: Golgari Grave Troll, and
0: many others.
2: Battling head-to-head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy in the search for eternal form.
1: The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bash and Raw on YouTube, Thuribon University, and theepicstorm.com. The
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of the Eternal Glory Podcast. Zendikar Rises. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined by Brian Cook and Brian Koval. How are you all doing tonight?
2: Trudging forward, Phil.
0: Yeah. Trudging. I feel that real hard right now. Um, I guess I'll just kind of, like, jump in. Uh, It's been a rough week or so, I guess two weeks since I've talked to to you all. Today I had about an hour and a half long meeting with uh, about a fourth of the faculty, where we went, like, Hey, a huge portion of the kids are failing. We're having huge issues with online learning. What do we do? And it was kind of a brainstorming day with no real answers. And it's it's been hard. So I'm I'm not gonna lie to the listeners out there. It is a hard time to be a teacher right now.
2: Yep, not that I am one, but hard time to be a parent too. Trying to manage, like, be a teacher at home, like I. I, I imagine like high school level, there's a little more accountability on the kids, but also not really. <laughs> like there, there's a, a limit to how much you can really put on a kid to be responsible for their own education. Uh, it, it's, it's weird. It's a really weird balance.
0: Yeah, very, very much so. And there's a lot of things that you would expect them to be able to do totally fine. But sometimes it's like, do this and take a screenshot to show me that you've done it. And it's like, okay, I did it. It's like, no, 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 screenshot me. Yeah, I, I I did the assignment. No, no picture. Picture, please, kid, please.
2: Yeah, I had a, I was in a, a meeting with a concerned parent last week where they, this is a, a senior, in special ed, senior is age 21. So like, this is a 21-year-old graduating this year. And the parent was like, but like, she, it, at, at that age, uh, you're, you're all about community training, job training, like that's because that's the next step for the kids. And there is no community. There are no jobs right now. You can't go in the community. It, it's, it's full of COVID. So the mom was straight up just like, can I not send her at all this year? And then she fails and has to come back next year <laughs> to like try to like game another year of school. And everyone was just like, no, <laughs> no, you cannot do that sorry, this sucks, it sucks for all of us, but no, that's not a solution.
0: Gamer's gonna game, right? Like, literally, no matter what it is.
2: Yeah, <laughs> this mom is a gamer, apparently.
0: So I guess before we, like, delve into education anymore, like, Bryant, what's going on with you?
1: My stuff's pretty light. Uh, we've been remodeling, as I've mentioned the last few episodes, we've started doing doors. To uh, her credit, my significant other's been doing a majority of the work. But uh, I bought this sweet-ass wood chisel. And I've just been fixing the hinges where the door meets the hinge. Apparently, all hinges aren't the same size. They would have known. And uh, I've just been chiseling wood, which has been kind of fun. But more fun than that has been Lovecraft Country on HBO. Holy shit, this show is good. If you're not watching it, you should be. It is so awesome.
2: It is. uh, I I turned that on at... Like, totally, like, sight unseen. Like, I know who H.P. Lovecraft is. I'm familiar with the body of work. But I didn't know anything about the show specifically. And I turned it on. And I'm, I'm just going to, like, warn the viewers that I'm a huge wuss. I don't watch horror because I'm scared of it. <laughs> and I didn't realize how tilted onto the horror side of the sci-fi spectrum that show was going to be. And it's fine. It's manageable. Like, I'm I'm good. But I was definitely, like, sitting in my basement alone at night with the lights <laughs> off, expecting, like, sci- sci-fi and getting horror and just like, oh, no. And the, you're not going to believe this story when I tell you, but it is true. In, I think, the second episode, there's a scene where there's, like, like Tesla coils are, like, firing off and there's, like, a lot of e- electricity flying through the air and stuff. It's a very dramatic scene my power in my actual house flickered 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 went out during that scene all the street lights the whole block went dead and i i was in the pitch black alone in my house in this like tumultuous scene of a horror show which as i've already set up is horrible
1: (laughs) (laughs) they had me from the get-go the show opens up with like jackie robinson murdering an
2: alien and i'm like i'm in that's all i needed yep just smashes it right in half of the bat
0: <laughs> I'm a huge oh. lovecraft fan I did all of his uh, works on audiobook last year uh which was a which was a slog there's there's a lot of it it was like months of listening uh, but I'm looking forward to watching that show
2: yeah it is good
0: uh, as far as like my personal stuff goes um I'm gonna I'm gonna dip the podcast toes back into politics we're not gonna go like Full blown or anything for a minute, but like real life talk is is real spooky right now. So Trump was recently talking about instituting mandatory patriotic education in schools, which like immediately triggered every single alarm bell in my mind. Where it's like, oh no, this is not good. And um, well, Brian, you you said you you listened to the full speech, right?
2: Uh, yeah, I I did because like a lot of the times you get these uh, these headlines like the blurb, the soundbite or whatever, and it's like okay CNN, what did he actually say? But then you listen to the speech and it's worse than the byline was or the 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 subject, the tagline. It's just like oh my god, like he just keeps talking and it keeps getting more terrible. I I saw a tweet which is was meant to be a joke but is also like like sad humor because it's real and somebody described that speech as if a four-year-old was trying to recite hitler from memory and like that's pretty much exactly what it was and it's like extra terrifying because the american education system is already patriotic education tilted to like bury our many crimes like like the 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 idea that like lincoln ended slavery And then Black people were equal. But then there were still some racists, but Martin Luther King got rid of them all. Like, that's pretty close to what I actually learned in school. And like, uh, Christopher Columbus was a brave hero, an explorer. He found America, even though it's named after a different guy. Like, all of these things are like things that we are just taught in school already. And uh, somehow, uh, Trump wants to start a task force to make it even more patriotic
0: Yes, and, uh, for the viewers out there who haven't really followed this at all, um, making it more patriotic means things, like, largely erasing discussions of slavery and how it's not cool and sweeping that all to the side. Um, and if you want to dig into this, which I really encourage you to do if you're interested, there's, uh, the name for this was, uh, very carefully chosen to be in dialogue with, uh, some other projects that are currently ongoing it's it's very much not cool
2: yeah there there are some concerning things at play here uh the like people have been calling like fascism for a couple years now in various things and it's like okay settle down you left wing maniacs he's not a fascist just because you don't agree with him but like now he's literally just like yes here are my fascist talking points let me lay them out for you
0: the, a couple weeks ago, the sign that was in the Holocaust Museum, um, in the gift shop made rounds like powerful controlling nationalism, disdain for human rights, identification of enemies as a unifying cause, supremacy of the military, rampant sexism, controlled mass media, obsession with national security, religion government intertwined, corporate power protected, labor power suppressed, disdain for intellectuals in the arts, Obsession with crime and punishment, rampant cronyism and corruption, and fraudulent elections.
2: Yeah, I think we're at like uh, 85% of those things, like pretty, pretty firmly.
0: So don't don't take our word for it, though. Like, get, get out there. Take, take a look at what's going on. There's a lot of really concerning things and a very, 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 very important election coming up. Um, please vote. Hey, okay, thanks. Yeah,
2: if you're if you're American, uh, like I know a lot of people just their eyes glaze over, or they've prob some number of people probably fast forwarded past this part. But like, if you're American, please consider voting. Like, strongly consider.
0: Uh, yeah,
2: yeah. I-, I think if we talk any more about this, we're just going to do it for the next two hours, which nobody wants no. to hear. So, Brian, tell me uh, about like
0: YouTube life. Give me give me something happier.
2: All right, all right. Well, let's get back into. Uh, less heavy business so uh i the a week or two ago i realized that youtube had randomly demonetized my channel which uh my channel's been up for about two years i've been monetized for about a year and a half of that and uh three of my best five videos ever i posted in the last month like uh click rate wise anyway and i realized that i didn't get any money from any of them because uh And it wasn't even like I violated the terms of service, which is one of the things that you can get demonetized for. It was literally that the uh, Google AdSense, which is the company that processes the payments through YouTube, wanted to verify my address. They just decided, like, oh, after two years, we better figure out where this guy lives. And they sent me a, uh, a PIN, a personal identification number, via snail mail, which takes four to six weeks to arrive, and... I, I just can't make any money until I get that and type it in. Luckily, it only took about a week and a half to arrive, and I turned it back on as of last night. And even more importantly, like, I don't actually make any money off YouTube. Oh like, no, you, you is these pennies. Yeah, like, I, I probably make about $9 a month, like, honestly. So I, I, it's not like I took a huge hit here, but <laughs> it was still also a giant pain, because... Uh, I cranked out uh, five videos in six days last week. I was feeling it. I was in the zone. I was loving it. And then realized I was demonetized. And like, it's not for the money, but just like any, I'm at a mental health place where like any hindrance is just crippling. So I was like, oh, well, fuck it then. I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) I'll record something when I'm re-monetized, which I am. So uh, there, there will be stuff coming.
1: To piggyback on Brian's point about YouTube, uh, I did pretty well recently, we'll get to that in a few minutes, but I uploaded all my videos to YouTube, all the ones that I recorded anyway. Over those two weeks, I got $45 in YouTube monetization, which is like crazy to me considering in all of 2019, I think I got like $115. So for two weeks for it to be $45, it's just like a lot of views.
2: Yeah, that's insane for a small channel like we have. That that that's actually just fat stacks. You buy yourself a nice steak with that, or or increase the uh, the capacity of theepicstorm.com dot again. Whatever it is you do, I'm
0: slightly above that in terms of revenue. But I I poop videos left and right. Like I have a daily monster train series. I was doing the daily death and taxes stuff for a long time. I dump all my streams to YouTube. Uh, but like Twitch is definite. Twitch and donations to the channel directly are definitely the, the money makers for your content producers. It's not YouTube
2: unless you get huge.
1: Wow, Phil bragging about these YouTube
2: dollars. Jeez, Yeah, yeah Phil's I, got the fat stacks. I didn't. Yeah, have I have to go. get my money somehow.
0: I'm sure as hell not winning tournaments like
2: some <laughs> of us. <laughs> yeah, Phil has the most steady revenue stream of all of us.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe someday we'll go behind the curtain and uh, and do an episode on content creation, get real meta. But that is that is not today's episode.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's definitely not today. Um, I I have not really touched Magic the Gathering. Like, I haven't played a game with the new set. I haven't even drafted, uh, because I have chosen to live in Hyrule for the, the future. Uh, I've decided the Earth is not suited to me right now, so I started Breath of the Wild on the switch and i'm about 25 hours in i feel like i haven't advanced the story at all but i'm having a blast like i i don't even know who the bosses are much yet have found or fought any of them and uh all the reports i'm getting from friends is that i can expect to put 100 hours into this game just to like beat it and closer to like two or three hundred if i want hundred percent it which i probably do because i'm a maniac so i live in hyrule now it was nice knowing you all.
0: Alright, are we ready for uh for feedback?
1: I think I'll take this.
2: Take it, yeah.
1: Well, we have absolutely no feedback and I'm going to blame Phil's awful episode title from last week. <laughs>
2: hey, it was my title. Phil just sang it beautifully.
1: Yeah. I'm still blaming Phil.
2: Brian really what is. <laughs> do you think that people literally turned off the cast, they just heard Phil sing the title and were like, Nope. <laughs> just, just shut it down. Because that's kind of great.
0: If if that was the case, we should have uh, stuck with some of our working titles. Brian and I came up with some great titles that Brian rejected. Um, I, I was going for uh, Heart, Sexy Title, Heart, and uh, Brian suggested, Ooh-woo, Zendikar, ooh-woo. Um, but neither one of those made it past production stages.
2: Yeah. Grandpa Cook over there just vetoed all of it.
1: I'm the bad guy.
2: Yeah, we know. (laughs) (laughs) So Phil, how's Magic going? So for the first time in
0: probably more than a year, I'm like truly excited to be playing Magic and I'm playing Magic for Pleasure again. It's it's cool, I haven't been there in a long time. I think I played six leagues this weekend. It was Yeah, Death and Taxes got two cards.
2: Two whole cards and I was only expecting more than they've gotten in four years.
0: So like I I knew Skyclave was going to be great, and uh Luminarch Aspirant also ended up being pretty good, but we'll uh, we'll we'll dive into that later. Um I, I played a lot of bad DNT decks over the weekend, a few good DNT decks. Um and it, it felt good. And I also was a guest on MTG Goldfish this week in their uh this weekend Legacy series, um, along with a lot of other big names like uh PVDH and Max Dorsan. Um, Highly recommend checking that out if you're interested in, like, ban and format health conversation sorts of things. Uh, Brian, why don't we go to you now? Um, Because, you know, Brian has a lot to talk about here.
2: Yeah, Brian has a a couple of magic updates in his holster here, so I'll get out of the way here. Uh, Like I said, I went on a recording spree uh, last week. I did five videos in six days. I think uh, two of them are Legacy, two Pioneer, one Limited. And uh, I had a lot of fun. I capped off that recording spree with a, an easy trophy. Uh, Phil linked me to a deck that went uh, top four in the Four Seasons event in Italy. It was a, a deck with four Monastery Mentor and three days in it. <laughs> so, and four uh, Mishra's Bauble. This was just like turbo tempo Jeskai Mentor. No Okos or Uros to be seen. We're just creating monks at a blistering pace. And uh, I I just quickly trophied my, the only League I played with it on camera. It was, it was a great time. Um, unexpectedly absent and predict is basically Splinter Twin. So enjoy that combo. Uh, like, I haven't played with the new set at all. Like I said, I've been busy playing Zelda. But uh, Omnath and Belcher are, are both calling to me in both Legacy and Modern. Like, Snoko featuring Omnath has my attention and these... I feel like I have to try these Oops All Spells decks that now suddenly have a bunch of lands in them. And Belcher is now viable and modern, which has never happened before. So I'm pretty excited to try all this new stuff. None of it is really my style going long, but for a video, just to get a feel for this shenanigans, I'm into it.
0: I also am enjoying Wizards um, trying to speedrun bands. That's super cool. So these cards became available on Magic Online on Friday of last week. And today, they posted a notification that was like, we're keeping an eye on the current standard format, and we'll address issues on Monday to not uh, affect the integrity of tournaments this weekend. It's just like, what are we doing, guys? What are we doing?
2: So, I, I think it is likely that they're talking about Uro, not Omnath, but, like, we're only talking about Uro because they didn't do what they needed to do in the last several rounds of bans, where Uro has been legal this whole time. Like, I think there's been uh, two or three rounds of Standard bans that Uro just snuck underneath. And it that card, there are people calling for that card's ban in Legacy, which I don't agree with, but it's being talked about by some people. And Standard is way less powerful than Legacy. Like, it, if, if this card is... In the band talk in Legacy, like, what is it doing in Standard? I tried to sell my Uros, by the way. Like, I saw that announcement and logged into Magic Online like two hours later, and they had already dropped $20. <laughs> I was like, damn it. I missed the window. <laughs> so now the game, like, they were at 70 two days ago. Now they're at 50. And it's like, will they be 30 on Monday? Or do, should I just hold on to them at 50? So I'll probably end up just holding on to them because. I'm not a a gamer. I'll just keep the cards that I'm going to play. I still play Pioneer and Legacy and Modern, so I'm going to need a rose.
0: All right, champ. Bring us on in. Start the stream of results.
2: Wow. Have you you been playing some Magic lately?
1: (laughs) I like this new nickname. Maybe I'll uh, get used to it. Probably not, though. I'm not that good. Uh, So last Saturday, I played in the Legacy PTQ. You needed 40 QPs to even enter, so... It was a little bit smaller of a PTQ than some previous ones. Uh, I want to say it was like 109 people, 110 people maybe. And uh, the Epic Storm. Uh, I went 9-1, and one, managed to take down the PTQ beating Esper Vial in the finals. You can find all of these videos on YouTube. Uh, then the Sunday Challenge, I played the same exact 75. And went 9-1 again, winning the event. Once again, these videos are on YouTube. Uh, this past weekend... I took second in the Vintage Challenge. Those videos are also on YouTube. And then Sunday, I played Rugged Delver, not the Epic Storm. And I managed to win the event. I went a perfect 10-0 throughout the event. I lo- I saw two lists I liked, and I combined them. Uh, but the big addition that I did for myself was I added a second Clothis. And holy crap, the card is busted. It just won so many games all on its own. Uh, against any removal heavy deck, like I beat Nickfit, for example, and I beat Jeskai, Stoneblade, and Maverick, where I just like played Aquathus, and my opponent just died within like seven turns. Uh, it was remarkable. It also fixed my mana when my opponent was wastelanding me out one game. It just did everything. Uh, which left me wondering, like, why aren't people actually playing answers? And I did some research, and if you look at MTG Goldfish, there's zero answers in any snow list whatsoever.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Clothis is a, a, a nasty lady, and uh like I I've play try to play a council's judgment or unexpectedly absent, like some sort of white generic permanent answer, but you're right, the Snow decks, they just have nothing.
0: I think the plan there is just try to gain enough life or turn the corner with Oko or Uro to erase it rather than answer it. It's not a good plan, but I think that's the current plan.
1: Yeah, Daniel Golcho brought up a good point on Twitter that it's so hard to do against Rugdelver due to day's pyroblast surgical. Like the only answer Snow actually has is Force of Will. And if you're playing Rugdelver, you have way more answers to their forces than they do for you. So it's an interesting point. I think I'm erring on the side of Daniel on this one. Uh, but if you look at my list from that event, do not run the Spell Pierce. I hated it the entire event. I boarded it out a lot. I kind of just wish that it was a third copy of Force Indigation, and then that would open up another cyborg slot for beating Snow. That's what I would do personally.
0: So, Brian, would you say that you are a competent Delver player, just by the way?
1: Uh, I've played Delver in the past, believe it or not. I've actually played a lot of Delver, but the last couple of years, not so much.
0: Yeah, I saw someone on Twitter saying, like, when are you going to post the mods for Rugged Delver? And I, I got a chuckle out of that.
1: Oh, thank you for reminding me. I, I mentioned all the other videos on purpose, then I forgot this. I did not record. Um, I figured no one would want to watch me misplay playing through a Delver challenge, so I just didn't record. And it turns out people would have liked watching me misplay a bunch. Uh, In top four against Maverick, all I had to do was daze one of my opponent's spells to shut off their ooze. And I was just like, oh, they have a mana, why would I daze? And just immediately lost me the game, so wasn't great.
2: Yeah, that that's one of the hallmarks of my content. It's, it's just like I I never test, I never tune. I just like, oh, this is a list I found. Let's record it. And uh, everyone learns with me. Like as long as you narrate the mistakes, like, <laughs> it, like if you like get mad and tilt off, like oh, I should have dazed, and then they can't ooze. Versus, like, oh yeah, if I had dazed, then they couldn't ooze. I understand that. Like, got it. And then, like, it, it's still good content. But if you were playing that badly off camera, then it, you might not have won the thing if you were on camera, because that does eat up brain bandwidth.
1: Yeah. But it was a fun experiment. I'm considering not playing the Epic Storm again this upcoming weekend. Uh, not because I want a 3-for-3 with different decks or anything. I just don't think TES is that good in the metagame right now.
0: There's so Um, many Mind Break Traps out there.
1: There's a lot of Mind Break Traps, and it's pretty bad. I have a few ideas on if you want to play TES in this field. Uh, Ways of beating Mind Break Trap, they're pretty uh, good, I think. I just don't want to be the one to test it, necessarily. So I think I might try to play a third deck this weekend. Probably not Rugged Over. But if uh, you are playing the Epic Storm in League's have you considered the Epic Storm Challenge?
0: What's the Epic Storm Challenge?
1: I am giving away a Foil Mox Opal and a Japanese Foil Khan's Polluted Delta to anyone that can get... Well, that's not true. I should word that differently. The person with the most of the Epic Storm trophies, as long as they hit 15. And I've received some feedback from people that they think 15 is too high. I hit 14 in the last trophy season, and I quit playing with over a month to go. And this trophy season actually has an extra month added on so a lot of people are forgetting that there's actually just like an extra calendar month it's september till the almost the end of december so there's an extra four weeks to do this there's plenty of time uh i just think it's pretty difficult right now with all the mind break traps and oops all spells and leagues
2: you just hooked the entire legacy community you're like i'm just gonna win everything that matters with epic storm and then wait for them to print cards for oops all spells and then make this contest and now everyone's getting a mind break trapped
0: (laughs) I mean, I hate Mind Break Trap. Ugh. I'm playing it in Death and Taxes right now. That's where we're at.
2: Ha- have you guys seen the memes where it's like Mind Break Trap in one pane, and then it's like a uh, inverted, like dark, like cl- crazy glowy eye Mind Break Trap in the next pane? And like, that's like the meme format? <laughs> and my favorite one was the, call an ambulance, but not for <laughs> me. <laughs> Honestly, like you can beat a lot of the
1: non-blue decks playing Mind Break Trap because you sort of expect it. It's really difficult creating a window when you're playing Storm if your opponent's a blue deck playing it because you're like, okay, well, I'll veil somewhere into this defense grid and then this will happen. Except when this goes to happen, you get hit by Mind Break Trap and you're like, oh. like okay. Um, it's just really tough to fight seven Force wheels plus Mind Breaks.
0: Yeah, and the Mind Break when you're not expecting it is also the worst, right? Like, when when someone's playing some deck that, like, shouldn't be playing Mind Break Trap. And then it's like, okay, i played around all the things that this deck normally has. Oh, Dark Ritual, do my thing, and whoop! There we go. It's it's the old feel-bad.
2: Or, in Vintage, that's a pretty common main deck card in blue decks. Like, I love the old main deck Mind Break Trap. Uh, Is Legacy there yet? is it time for main deck mind break trap and legacy
0: i think we get to play force of negation so no and like force of negation right. real good here
1: that's actually Fine. the vintage answer too like a lot of the people that would be playing main deck mind break trap and vintage are now playing force of negation like you still see a trap every once in a while but it's just less common
2: cowards <laughs> that's probably just way better that's smart
1: i think in a few weeks things will be a little bit more back to normal like oops all spells will continue to be like an option you can play, but I think a lot of people are playing it right now just to see the power level of the deck, and that will, you know, eventually balance out.
0: This is really a great transition point into our first topic of the day, which is the spell lands themselves. Do um, you all have anything else to say before we just dive in?
2: Let's dive.
0: Ooh, I, I don't know, sploosh, like whatever the diving noise is. <laughs> it's been a long uh, day.
2: Phil just. Uh, you, you all can't see this because this is an auditory medium, but Phil did just do, like, a big, like, dramatic swan dive move on our, our Google Hangouts, so he wasn't just saying, sploosh, sploosh, pew, pew into the camera. So th- there was a whole thing that just happened. It was pretty good, actually. Sorry you didn't get to experience it. Uh
0: yeah, when uh when you're you're a teacher and you're on these like Zoom call sorts of things all day, like you gotta do silly, entertaining things every once in a while just to like break up the monotony. So that's where I'm at. Anyway, spell lands. So as we were saying, um, they were they were a very very easy slot in to oops all spells. Um, and I'm not gonna lie, I was a skeptic that oops was actually going to be good even with these. Oops has always been this like. Fringe playable deck in Legacy that you, like, can play for shits and giggles, but it's never really competitive. And now, here we are seeing quite a bit of Oops, at least in leagues. It's incredibly popular on Magic Online. I played against it five times this weekend, and before that, I maybe haven't played against Oops in six months or something like that. So, people are very excited to test this deck.
2: Yeah, I think I've played against that deck less than five times in my life, like in tournament settings, just over the entire existence of the deck. Uh, I've, I think I can remember playing against it twice in a tournament.
0: Something Bryant and I were talking about, though, is that he didn't see any of this at all in any of the premier events that he played. But I was seeing it absolutely everywhere in leagues. Um, Bryant, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah,
1: and I could be wrong on this. This is just an initial thought. It might not be a part of the winner's metagame. Like, it might have been in the challenges, but it might have been in the X2 or below bracket. Which is, it happens week one of a new deck. Like, that could get refined a little bit. It could find its way to the winner's metagame. But at least in the events that I played, I didn't see it whatsoever. It wasn't even on my radar. A part of me did want to play Rugged Over because I was expecting to face it, and I just didn't. I figured a deck with seven forces was probably okay against, you know, the all-in combo deck. Yeah. Also, I sort of think that people are playing oops all Spells because people don't really know how to face it, and it's getting a little bit of those free wins from not really knowing how to interact. So once people have it down, I think that it still might be okay, but it's just going to get less of the free wins. Like Anurag Stream, a few opponents just conceded when he couldn't win, for example, so
0: yeah there's there's a lot of situations where like the wrong cards end up in your hand, and you're like, "Okay, I'm going for it, but I'm actually dead like there's weird situations where like dread return, and I don't know
1: cabal, cabal therapies
0: are in your hand or something like that, and you can't get the dread return into the graveyard like weird weird things can definitely happen with that deck.
2: Yeah, so that that's a, a good time to remind the folks at home. Always make them show you the combo. This, uh, if your opponent like casts uh, Undercity Informer and just says like I'll do the thing, don't pick up your cards. Make them do the thing. So because uh, sometimes they don't. Especially have that.
0: since that deck comboing off is like less than ten clicks total. Maybe it does not take long. It's not like this is Bomberman combo. Where it's like, alright, I add the mana, I add the mana, I add the mana, I add the mana, I I click on the walking board. No, 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 it's not that. Um, But I definitely won, I think it was two games against that deck, where they comboed off and could not win.
1: Brian might want to correct me here, but there's an old story back from the Flash era of Legacy (laughs) of Steve Saden at uh, GP Flash, which I believe was Chicago. Uh, Steve Which Saden he
2: won, by the way,
1: was five zero or six zero. And an opponent asked Steve to demonstrate the combo, and Steve froze and was just like, "I don't know how to do this." Game two. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: yes, uh, I, I don't. I, I don't remember what specific round it was. My memory is when he was three zero. Like I don't know if he made it six rounds, but like he was undefeated deep, like pretty reasonably along in day one before someone actually made him demonstrate the combo. And he did end up winning that Grand Prix, defeating goblins in the finals, by the way. What a weird world that was. The The other famous story is when uh, Luis Scott Vargas forgot to register Tendrils of Agony in his vintage Storm deck, and he chopped the finals of that tournament. Just everyone believed him <laughs> that he had a win con.
1: I believe the story is that he really wanted to add in a deep analysis and couldn't figure out what the 15th card
0: was.
2: Uh, something like that. I, it's one of those legendary know, like,
0: stories that just circulates and becomes popular again every once in a while it's beautiful
2: yep yeah when another generation finds vintage and then like oh or they learn like yeah every couple of years that becomes a great story again um one time uh richard shay won a local vintage tournament here with the elspeth versus tezzer dual deck he had to uh uh, him and one of our other friends they bought the Elspeth versus Tezzeret dual deck uh, Rich got Tezzeret the other guy got Elspeth they could do whatever they want with their sideboard but their main deck had to be the dual deck except Rich had to cut one of the Thirst for Knowledges because the deck had two and the card was restricted at the time <laughs> but but yeah Rich ended up winning that tournament He his sideboard was full of like power and time vault and stuff so his game twos were a joke but that did happen
1: a thought that i've had for years is when i started playing storm commonwealth legacy all these Tentures of agony decks were called long they're all you know like pitch long whatever long
2: yep grim long yeah. yeah
1: why were decks like eight years later after mike long was banned from magic for cheating still named after him it made no sense
2: <laughs> yeah it that so there's a lot. I know uh, Legacy tends to attract the Boomers, and uh, I have some Boomer tendencies myself, but deck naming, in historically, in Magic, is so stupid. Like, the the era where like every deck was named after breakfast, like, there's like Cephalid Breakfast, cheery Quick and Toast, Full English Breakfast. Yeah, like, decks were just named after breakfast foods for like a long time, for no reason. And like, uh, I think Star City Games actually did Magic the Gathering a huge service when they started just calling decks, like, Bug Control, instead of, like, whatever stupid name the pilot gave it. Uh, it, it in general, I, I like where that is. Um, I largely agree
0: with that, but, like, it's Rug Delver, and I will say Rug Delver until the day that I die.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some things like Rug Delver, Bug Delver, they just roll off the tongue, uh, calling them Teamer. It's just more syllables. It, it, it's, it's strictly worse. Um, also, I think one time they uh, posted a legacy open top eight with a death in taxes list called Mono White Aggro, <laughs> which is like not even true. Uh, like uh, that was when I, I think Cedric was the one who really put his foot down on this. He's just like, no, we're going to call decks what they are, period. But then he was able to be convinced that Death and Taxes is not mono-white aggro. It means something specific. So he, he pulled off of that one a bit. Well, but in general, I, really I like silly. those.
1: Like Team America, and then it's a bug Delver deck? Like, that just doesn't make any sense. Like, like those well, that, are uh, directly.
2: Changes. that was directly in response to Canadian Threshold. Because Canadian Threshold was a rug Threshold deck, and Team America is a bug Threshold deck. So, like, that was meant to feast on Rugdelver in the meta, or Canadian Threshold in the meta, so it was just you know, American pride. And then uh, Gerard Fabiano with Team Italia, where that was like a a Mardu mid-range legacy deck that he did well at an open or two with long ago. So yeah, like those sort of things are just like that doesn't help me know what the deck is.
0: I've had a lot of really fun conversations about this topic, because I was Friends with a lot of people on the, the the back end of Star City since I lived in Roanoke. Oak, and uh, there's a lot of very fun things that I have said that I probably can't repeat on the podcast with those people. It's uh, it's it's great.
1: We're way off topic, and I love
0: it. Yeah, it, it's good. That's the okay. for the banter. <laughs> we don't have anything of real substance to give them.
2: Yeah, there's not even a topic this week. The topic was Ubu said a car uwu briefly
0: anyway i guess back to the spell lands of belcher or not belcher uh, oops technically right now um oops did put up three top 32 appearances across two challenges this weekend um i don't know how you want to view this but one pilot did top 32 twice so i don't know if you want to view that as like that that one pilot is doing well with it or like the deck is consistent enough to give you finishes two days in a row. Um, it's kind of really early to tell where this falls in terms of like being an actual contender versus just a flash in the pan because like it's new and degenerate.
2: Yeah, plus like pinning down the lists and then like also pinning down the strategies within the lists, like all of that matters a lot. The fact that the same pilot made the top thirty-two twice uh, is kind of. I take that as a small bit of evidence that there might be something here that this person has dialed in on that other people haven't yet. Either that or they're just like the luckiest idiot with Undercity Informer in their deck, which I, I don't usually think is true. Uh, like, like, like that, that's uh, like, like Steve Rubin went on a tear with Mono Black Control and Standard when it was like Thought Season to Pack Rat. And it was, he was living in Pittsburgh at the time, and the joke was like, you're just like the luckiest person on the planet who owns pack rats. It's like, you're not actually good at magic. But I don't, I don't think that's true, and I, it's probably not true here either. So that person has found something, or at least a taste of something, that the other people haven't found I, yet. I
0: think they were the person who was playing the 15-card Dark Depths sideboard package. That's juicy. So a lot of the current oops decks are trying to bounce or otherwise remove permanent-based hate and then go off with things like Force of Vigor, Nature's Claim, or Chain of Vapor. And this deck was like, nah, I'll just juke the hate. Like, keep all the mana acceleration, bring in Sylvan's Crying, Dark Depths, Vampire Hexmage, Thespian Stage. That's the deck. I, yeah, I that, love that that's... Stuff.
2: Yeah, that's a, a, a classic strategy in manaless decks to board into Dark Depths. Like A lot of decks have played with that in the past. Um, I lost a Vintage match at Vintage Champs one year. Uh, I was on Oath playing in dredge, And game two, I kept a hand that was like Leyline, Leyline, uh, ravenous Trap, Jace the Mind Sculptor, and some mana. I'm like, can't lose. And they just went like, Urborg, Dark Depths, Vampire Hex Mage. <laughs> it's just like, oh, well, I'm dead. <laughs> you got me. So that's that's pretty sweet, and if they were doing that and nobody else was, it makes sense why they were able to dance through and get a couple extra wins that the other people didn't.
0: Yeah, I think Oops is much better at picking up wins than it mm-hmm. used to be, primarily because it's not just like the deck that's dead to one card anymore. That used to be Oops's reputation. Like you disrupt Oops once, and it, it's done, and and they're they're just dead. Like you will kill them or effectively win the game before they can try again but that's not really true anymore. With these spell lands, they can beat something like a Thalia or a Thorn of Amethyst or a Trinisphere. Maybe not relatively easily, but by turn four, you can expect them to go off through one piece of hate in a lot of games. And it's not just this single-shot deck. And sometimes it can even beat cards like, say, a Deafening Silence without even removing them. They just go creature off of a few lands and spirit guides, And then the only non-creature spell they cast in that turn is a Dread Return. And it's like, nice nice hate, idiot. It's surprising that that deck can actually have some real play to it now, despite being, you know, historically very much a glass cannon deck.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's closer to uh, actual Belcher now. Like, it used to be, like, bad Belcher. It's like we take Belcher and we also expose ourselves to graveyard hate. So it's just like strictly worse than old Belcher, but like Belcher, the the red green, like after sideboard, like that can switch into like some like small empties or like Veil of Summer these days or Pyroblast, you know, like shattering spree to get through artifact hate. It it actually had game that Oops basically never did. So it's kind of cool that there's two viable Belchers now.
1: So there's one thing that I really like about the Oops deck, and you can cast your Cabal Therapies now. And it's like not pitch a card to Chrome Mox, cast Cabal Therapy. You're just tapping a land to Cabal Therapy. And granted, there are two forces now, which, you know, not as ideal for a card like Cabal Therapy. But you don't just flat out lose to a counter spell anymore. I mean, you still can, but you have some game to fight back between that impact and Negation. My personal disappointment in the deck is that you're running Elvish Spirit Guide and there's no Veil of Summers. Like, I get it. That it doesn't answer surgical extraction or fairy macabre or anything like that. But it's just a little disappointing that, like, the deck that's capable of going ESG value isn't doing it.
0: Well, they're on mind break, or not mind break traps, uh, pact of negations instead, which kind of serve the same function. Like, those fight back against counterspells without requiring any resources. Like, that made sense to me when I saw it.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying that, like, playing those, right? I'm just disappointed that the deck that can. Veil vale off of an Elvis Spear Guide isn't doing it.
2: I, I feel you. <laughs> yeah, there are there are unwritten rules here when we have these stupid cards. Though I do agree that it's probably wrong to play that card.
0: Yeah. Um, as far as, like, the immediate reaction to this deck goes, I've seen so many mindbreak traps in deck lists that have been coming out. Like, historically, in Death and Taxes, there have been one or two times where I've, like, considered playing mind break trap and then usually i'm like no i don't want to do that and now my current question is do i want two or three mind break traps instead like it's the the leagues haven't been super healthy
2: (laughs) yeah for league play i I think that every 75 starts with two mind break traps right now
1: can we stop this propaganda it's awful (laughs) zero mind break trap that's the way to live live your life without fear don't wear a mask um, I am on you know, a ten-card
0: anti-combo sideboard package for Death attacks Taxes right now. Like I have five cards for fair matchups, and the other ten are like, "Let's kill this combo."
2: That's how I've been building my blue decks for probably three years now. Just I'll I'll beat anyone fair and square with the main deck, but if you if you want to cheese me, I'm bringing in eleven cards. Bryant loves to hear it.
1: I don't feel safe here
2: well you're not well also delver expert brian cook (laughs) doesn't feel safe here you 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 just like i said earlier you've managed to hook everyone just like look epic storm is unbeatable now i'm a rug delver player suckers
1: i did have a couple people that just like mulliganed the four into like a turn one chalice (laughs) or like failure and i was just like yeah delver secrets go um
2: I I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast, but it's a good one. Uh, one time I had an opponent mauled a four against me in a uh, Star City Classic that I ended up making top four of. They mauled a four against me because they thought I was Bryant Cook. We are... like I I, w- I was just on I, I was on Grixis Delver and they just like a to four to find a Force Soil and I was like Deathrite Shaman go and they were like God damn it who are you. <laughs>
1: I think we talked about it on your first episode.
2: Maybe, yeah. But I, I'm glad to bring back that story. I'll tell that story every week if I have to.
0: All right. So, have you all seen these spell lands anywhere else besides this deck? Vintage. Oh, neat! I wasn't expecting
1: that. Mono blue Belcher runs one yeah, land. Blue... Telerion Academy.
2: Uh, it it runs zero now.
1: Oh, really? They cut the academy.
2: Yeah, the, the lists that I've seen posted, uh, including by our our donor, our supporter of the, the show this week, Mike Noble, uh he posted it. The joke was uh, budget blue belcher. And the budget is that you're not playing Academy. Like you just have four of the blue spell land and zero. Though I, I don't know if that's good. Like I'm not gonna lie. My only experience with Blue Belcher is losing to Bob Maher playing it in the VSL one time. But uh academy seems pretty good in that deck but maybe they know stuff that i don't i'm willing to believe that
1: so there's one other place that i've seen uh these new spell lands and that was actually watching jarvis U play some lands uh i i can't think of the name of the card so phil will have to tell me but the red x spell
2: uh that is Shatterskull smashing
1: that one it was interesting. It was a one of. I don't know how good it was. Jarvis could probably tell you more, but from my perspective, it seemed cute.
2: Are you, are you talking about the one that deals X damage, or the one that sacks X lands?
1: Uh, it was X red red, whatever that one is.
2: Okay, yeah, that's the one that deals X damage divided up to two creatures and or planeswalkers, and on the back, it's a mountain that shocks you for three. Yep, that one. Okay, all right. Because when you said the red X spell when we were getting the show together, I thought it was like the, uh, what is that card called? It's like tectonic something, maybe. Uh, the, I, it's the not, sacrifice. I don't know. There's another spell. Thing. You yeah, you like sack some number of lands and then search your deck for that many lands and shove them into play. Which scape shift. seems like it's, yeah. So it, it's like a red scape shift. Or no, no, no. I forget. I remember what it is now. It's actually like you sac X lands, draw X cards, and you can play X extra lands this turn. So it's like a much redder scapeshift type effect. Okay. But yeah, that one that one seems like it could be sweet. I don't know.
1: How do you feel about that card plus Omnath?
2: <laughs> uh, to the dome. <laughs> zap, 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 zap. You just draw your deck and kill everyone. That sounds great. So in
0: my... In my League play this weekend, I came across the Spelllands in four other decks. I came across Lands, Loam, Standstill, and Red Prism that were trying them. And they looked decisively eh in all of them. I was I was not impressed by what I saw, whereas I was very impressed by what I saw from Hoops.
2: Right. Yeah, R&D made the right call putting the Spell side on the front like if these were spells that loam could get back like you could just loam for literal draw three spells like that that would be no good uh, also if the spell was on the back then they couldn't thought seize it which is like pretty interesting too so uh, they can be thought seized they can't be loamed I think R&D did the correct uh, di- distribution of power here
1: completely on accident though
2: <laughs> yeah pr- uh, I don't know. I'll give them some credit somewhere. Uh, I've also heard theories. Uh, I, I saw this theory on Twitter and also someone added it to our notes here that uh, it they probably did that because spells are easier to remember the names of than lands. So you want the more memorable card on the front, which might be true.
1: I had an interesting discussion. It was regarding limited, but it applies to all formats. And it's how do you count these spell lands towards your mana count for your deck? Do you count them as half or do you count them as holes? Uh, the people I was drafting with said to count them as whole lands, but I wanted to count them as halves. Uh, what do you
0: guys think? Oh, wow. That one's really tricky. I guess it depends on what I... percentage of the time you think you're actually casting it as the spell. Like, the stronger the spell is, the higher proportion of the time you want to be casting it as a spell rather than playing it as a land.
2: Yeah, I, I haven't drafted the set yet. Um. I have heard, I think Luis Scott Vargas said, like, he would count them as one-third to one-half of a land to start, and see how he feels later. But that was his initial impression on his set review.
0: Yeah, I I definitely would not want to count them as a full land, I don't think.
2: Yeah, because most of them ETB tapped. And, like, ETB tapped forest is much worse than forest. So, like, especially in limited where curving out matters a lot like i i would definitely i don't know my deck would have to be pretty balls to the wall like if i wanted to play 15 lands anyway i might go 14 if i have like three or four of these
1: honestly i just think that three life wasn't enough for the untapped effect like it should have been like five
2: what <laughs> are you insane you're a
1: maniac Like, there should be, like, right now there's almost no cost for the decks that are. Three life! That's a lightning bolt! That's That's a a Delver Delver hit.
2: Yes, but, like, Oops All Spells and Belcher do do not care about three life. Not if they get to do what they want, but if you, like, if they have to play around days and, like, navigate the Flusterstorm, three life could be life or death. Like, that's a whole turn off the clock with Delver. Yeah, but it could be another
1: almost full turn if we just make it five.
2: I think that you are <laughs> wrong on this. I'm okay, being uh, wrong. Generally, generally, I like to uh, give my co hosts and everyone a chance to uh, uh, explore the merits of their argument, but for this one, I think there are none.
1: All right. I'll accept being wrong.
0: Oh, okay. I did think of one other place where the spell ends were seeing play. Um Cheap, the person who has been playing Mono Black Curses to some success, has been trying the. Black one that has like a three mana thoughtseize effect of some kind um, in curses because it's a land. Sometimes it's a black card that pitches to Chromax sometimes, and it can also like take Force of Wills or Show and Tells and other stuff like that. I'm kind of skeptical there, but seems to be working for them.
2: Yeah, like the like Oops and Belcher being super obvious places where like I think that those decks would play a card that's like no text on the front, land on the back. And it just doesn't really matter what the card does. But, like, Red Prison actually wanting, like, the DLX damage, like a, a Fireball, or, like, uh, uh, Pox wanting a Thoughtseize. Like, that's actually really interesting compared to this, just, like, it's a land, but it's not business.
0: Alright, um, anything else we want to say about spell, spell lands before we uh, dive into some of the cards that we were expecting to see coming into the weekend?
2: I think we have exhausted this for now. Th- three or four days in. All right.
0: Um, so, looking at the the various like set reviews that people were doing, I don't think it's all that surprising that we saw some Seagate Stormcaller. Or, or is that right, Seagate Stormcaller? Do I have the right? The reverse Snapcaster thing.
2: I'll look it up real quick, but that sounds right. Yes, Seagate Stormcaller. Uh, It is a 1 and a blue 2-1 with kicker 4 and a blue. When it enters the battlefield, copy the next instant or sorcery spell with converted mana cost 2 or less. You cast this turn. If you kicked it, copy the spell twice. You can choose new targets for the copy. So uh, I I think like the first big thing on here, uh, Phil, you even stepped in it a little bit, is the comparison to Snapcaster Mage, which is just like fundamentally flawed other than being like a two one for uh one in a blue like that like does stuff with spells <laughs> like I, I think the comparisons end there and when when this card was previewed like the twitter buzz across all formats was like this isn't snapcaster mage snapcaster is better this is so much p- worse than snapcaster it's like because it's not snapcaster and uh, very few things will ever be snapcaster And this isn't even trying. This isn't like a cheap Snapcaster imitation. This is just a different Magic card.
0: Oh, I totally agree. Um, I think it's just like the easiest mental shortcut largely because the effects generate similar levels of value and the creature cost is the same. But they work a very different way. Um, notably, Notably, Seagate Stormcaller lets you cheat on paying the costs. So when you copy that spell, you don't have to pay additional costs again, such as sacrificing a creature. And that's a really big deal with something like Village Rights, where you can pay a black and sacrifice a creature to draw two cards. Now all of a sudden with Seagate Strongcaller, you sacrifice once and draw four.
2: Yeah, and like the big spicy one for Legacy is Cabal Therapy. Like turn one Cabal Therapy. Turn to Seagate Oracle, flashback ball therapy twice. Like that—that's like the one good like Snapcaster impression that this card does. But uh, it, it provides you the body, and you've already seen their hand once. Just get the rest of it.
1: I think so the that, cost that's a pretty there sweet line. Is that you're playing Village Rights, because like. I'm not trying to make a meme here. Yeah,
2: that like, card is not good.
1: Like, what else are you playing in your deck that makes village rights good? It's just, like, sort of a filler card, and I'd want more to do with my deck, like, I don't know, Phoenix or something, if I'm going to be playing village rights. Like, it just needs to do something else, too.
0: Um, where I was seeing yeah. it, it was in Nick Fit and Aluren, where you have dispend- disposable creatures or creatures that you actively want to die. Uh, oh, God, total brain fart. Uh, like, Veteran Explorer. So, like, when you Veteran... Explorer and then play Village Rights. You generate value out of that. Or in Aluren, you have a billion stupid little creatures that like sometimes you want to die. Like what's what's the hideaway creature? Ah, uh,
2: the hideaway
0: creature. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, it's like blue I, and one. I think it enters tapped. You, you hide away a card when it enters play.
2: Uh, oh oh uh, yeah, it's from yep. Modern Horizons, right? I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> but you just Staff described thing. it.
0: Like those are the sorts of things that you're actively generating value from when you pass the village rights. So like I'm not I'm not going to argue that village rights is like one of the better things to be doing in Legacy because I really don't think that it is. But if you're in those strategies, it it's not as embarrassing of a card as it looks.
2: Yeah, and and like I could see it in like a, some sort of blue red pyromancer shell. Uh, or, or I guess it would have to be Grixis pyromancer shell to have all three of these cards, but like. Not, not that I think the card is great, but instant speed draw two is, is very powerful, even if it does come at the cost of a creature. And sacking Veteran Explorer specifically, like giving that deck another uh, one black sack outlet, that's juicy. That's actually a huge upgrade that I hadn't seen in action yet.
1: When it came out, I always thought that Neoform was going to be a Nick fit card because you turn one Explorer, turn to Neoform, get Snapcaster Mage your two lands, flashback Neoform into a 4-4 Leavold on turn 2, and no one ever did it. Like, I thought it was going to be this, like, huge thing, and she's like, nah, Neoform isn't a Nick Fit card, we just decided.
0: <laughs> but everything's a Nickfit card. That's how Reddit works.
2: Ryan's gonna win the challenge this week with Neoform Nickfit.
0: Oh, that's the dream.
2: Guys, can you help yeah, me so- fix my
0: Oopslaw Spells matchup before then?
2: Uh, yeah, four Mind Break traps. And... Four cabal therapies. Four <laughs>
0: surgical extraction, just to be sure.
1: Okay. Alright, we have my deck for Sunday.
2: So my favorite uh Nickfit play I ever saw was the person went uh they sacked their they they had like turn one cabal therapy, it misses, turn two, uh veteran explorer flashback therapy, their opponent gets two islands and cast counter spell, then untaps and cast chase. nice deck and then they died to jace because they gave their opponent a turn two jace
0: i have a lot of stories about beating veteran explorer with like stupid cards that my opponents allowed me to put into play
2: yeah that's one of the other secret modes on basic lands like you all know me i just like put more basic lands in your legacy decks all the time that's my shit and when you can actually search for two basics and a legacy power level, like it's pretty messed up. Nick Nickbit is counting on you not being able to do that.
0: All right, and it, we're not going to go into Nickbit story time, otherwise that's the whole podcast. Um, so one of the other cards that we were maybe expecting to see some play was Magmatic Channeler, uh, which is the uh, new one in a red card that can turn into a four four. If, what is it? If there's three or more instants of sorceries in the graveyard. Correct. And I saw none of it. And all those leagues that I played. I played against one Mardu deck that, like, maybe had it in there. It was, like, Faithless Looting Lingering Souls sort of stuff. Young Pyromancer, and it seemed like it would have fit in there, but, um, I was expecting to play against that card. It was, it was not out there.
2: That sounds like a modern deck from 2017.
0: Yes, that was was exactly the the feels that that deck was given off.
2: Honestly, it strikes me as like a Nathan Golia card.
1: Like once he starts talking about that card on Eternal Dirtles, like some of the brewers will start pulling it. Uh, Maybe we don't have the audience. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I know uh, I saw a Twitter conversation between White Faces and some other people that uh, were hyping Phoenix as a possibility for this card but they were all playing it kind of close to the vest like normally white faces will just tweet like full uh deck list that he's thrown together and like yeah check it out this is where my brain is but he was just like yeah i'm thinking about phoenix it's like oh that's interesting are you onto something over there this sounds
1: like something you have to pay more for like i'm thinking about phoenix like subscribe now to get my full thoughts
2: yeah it, my my sideboard guide is on the patreon if so hustle white faces get it <laughs>
1: Phil, so, why don't you tell us a little bit about Skyclave Apparition?
2: Good card is good. Like, holy crap. It
0: it answers everything. Like, every, every BS card that Death and Taxes had problems beating, you just, like, floop this into play, and it's like, oh, 6-6 Knight of the Reliquary? Not a problem. Oko? Not a problem. Arcanist? Answer that, too. Uro? Get wrecked. Like, little buddy, little buddy does some serious lifting for a 2-2. I, I was so impressed by this card. Like, I've,
1: Is that its nickname, Little Buddy?
0: Uh, little Buddy is like any card that I'm currently endearing uh, towards, Whatever the correct grammar is there.
1: I think from now as on... As long as they're
2: Little and they're Buddy.
1: I think we just, from now on, Skyclave Apparition is Little Buddy. Like, we'll make it a thing.
2: You heard it here first. <laughs> yep. Uh, we will not say Skyclave Apparition ever again. It is Little Buddy. And never ask. Never explain it. Just act like people should know.
0: There are occasionally very awkward games, though, where you control Little Buddy, and there's, like, a three-cost permanent under it, and you start asking yourself whether or not you can attack with it and your Pyrexian Revoker that are in play when your opponent has a couple open <laughs> mana. It's just like, oh god, I'm scared.
2: Yeah, the answer is probably no.
0: <laughs> yeah, there were, there were a couple of times where, like, I had Lethal on board... My opponent has like one card and it's like, okay, if I attack here and they have the lightning bolt, I'm dead. I probably win this game if I just wait two more turns to attack with a flyer. Like I'm gonna wait. One of my opponents Phil, I have
1: a question. Have you considered that maybe with little buddy in your deck, the number of mothers should go up? Like maybe you should have your moms, but then also a couple step moms?
0: Yes. Um I've been on one giver in most of the lists that I've been playing. Like,
1: okay, so you're running five total.
0: Yeah, and, and it, it's been very good. Um, it's also very good with Luminarch Aspirant. Uh, but like we'll we'll come to that card in a minute. Yeah, I am I am not hundred percent on the uh, anti-giver of runes, uh, pathway right now. Uh, when normally I hated that card, but like this definitely changes the math on how acceptable it is to be playing another angle of protection.
1: All right, so let's talk about some cards we didn't expect to see. Velka Exploration. In lands, you can draw on eight explorations now. It's so sweet.
0: Is this one as good as the regular exploration?
1: Not quite.
2: Here, I'll read this card for our, our listeners. So it's a, a two and a red enchantment. It has landfall. When a land enters the battlefield under your control, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card for as long as it remains exiled. At the beginning of your end step, if there are cards exiled with Valakut Exploration, put them into their owner's graveyard. Then Exploration deals that much damage to each opponent. So, with like regular Exploration and Valakut Exploration, you can like play a land, flip a land, play a land, flip a land, which is pretty dope. Uh, if you don't, you can just like fetch land, shock your opponent, I guess, which seems less exciting. Uh, you could also sandbag a fetch land. At For next turn, and then fetch, hit your land drop, see if you flip a land off. So, there's some, like, cool things to do. It's really slow, though.
0: I played against it once, and was not really impressed. I think my opponent beat me the game that I saw it, but they beat me for reasons completely unrelated to that card. That card came down when the game was already over.
2: Yeah, if this said uh, deals damage to any target, it would be bananas. Like just being able to like lava dart something every turn. Oh, please cool. no! But that's that's yeah, exactly. I was thinking exactly of you, but but no, uh, that is not what this card does. It only goes face, and it seems like it will be a win condition if you're already winning, and it'll do very little if you're not.
0: Yeah, I saw a really interesting deck list. Um, I saw a mono red aggro deck list, and I specifically don't mean burn. I mean, this person probably had 20 red creatures in their deck and was just turning them sideways, and they were supported by a few bolt effects. Um, they ran- You
1: call that Slyfell.
0: Oh, oh wow, yeah. I haven't used that term in many, many moons. Yeah, it, w- it was exactly a Sly deck. So, it used two New red aggro cards: Wayward Guide Beast and uh, Okuam Hellhound. HAL- 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 hellhound.
1: I'll be completely honest. I don't know what the beast is, Phil. Why don't you tell us what
2: the beast is?
0: Brian, were you just googling those? Was that what you were doing?
2: Uh, yes, I was. So uh, the Hellhound is a zero one with landfall it gets plus two plus two for one red. So it's just step links in red, and the. Wayward Beast is that, like, crazy weird goblin guide. It's 2-2 uh, uh, with haste. Uh, and oh, that guy's awesome. 2-2 Trample Haste. Yeah, 2-2 Trample Haste. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, return a land you control to its owner's hand. So, you only put this in a deck that you're planning on playing off one land in. Like, th- this card is not goblin guide. It's pretty far off from it. Um, better in some ways, much worse in other ways. But really good with the hell
0: like, you bounce your land, yes. you get to make landfall triggers repeatedly.
2: Yeah, that that's the, the sweet thing. Like, this is a pretty bad turn 1 play, but it's a pretty great turn 3 play where you, you want to be re-triggering landfall. There's also like a play pattern with it where like, if you attack on turn 1, pick up your only land, attack on turn 2 without playing your land, then you can play your land, play your spell, and cast a 2 drop on turn 3. So like, there's some interesting stuff here. I don't know how to evaluate this card. Uh, it, it's just so weird.
0: I beat that so player cool handily, but like I was scared the whole time. I was throwing every single creature I could under the boss to save my life the whole
2: time. So one cool Yeah, thing, that sounds like how you beat that match. One cool thing <laughs> about
1: uh, the Hellhound is that if you look back at some historical lists, around 2010 there was a aggressive Zoo deck, and I use the term aggressive Zoo deck because there was, like, your standard Zoo that ran, like, Quasali Pride Mage and Wild in and, like, it sometimes had a top end, like a Knight of the Reliquary. This wasn't any of that. It ran Steplinks and Reckless Charge, and that's what this reminds me of a little bit. I wouldn't be shocked if, like, Reckless Charge was, like, a two of, and if this list ever becomes a real thing, like, because you can play your Hellhound on turn two, play your fetch Land fetch, charge it, swing for seven. Like, that seems like exactly what this style of deck would want.
2: Yeah, that's pretty juicy. I remember those decks. They were good in old extended, and they were good in early modern as well. Like step, I actually in the GPI won last year, I lost to step links zoo. That was one of my losses in that tournament. It was a huge tilt.
1: My condolences. Yeah. Well, I think you ended up the victor that day, so you'll live with it.
2: I did. Good luck with your step linkses. No, that guy was really nice. So, genuinely good luck with your step links' previous opponent. So, I also
0: saw another spicy red card uh, in in the trenches. Um, I saw Fissure Wizard. Fissure Wizard.
1: Wait. Say it one more time. Fissure Wizard. Fissure
0: Wizard? Fissure Wizard.
2: Fizzur, wizard, wizard.
0: I, I saw a little fizzy <laughs> quite a few times over, over the weekend. Um, so, this is a 2-1 goblin, I believe, that uh, when it enters the battlefield, you can discard a card to draw.
2: Yep. it ahead. it costs one in a red by the way. it's goblin yeah. Piker
0: and this does not sound like a playable legacy card to me. And then I saw it in goblins three different times and they were using it to discard Muxus to reanimate it <laughs> and, uh, that was a that was a spicy meatball um, user Grunch got 6th place in a challenge featuring um, that exact combo. I don't remember if I talked to them or some other Goblins pilot about it, but when I asked, the response was uh, roughly, eh, it's not really that good, but it does cute things sometimes.
2: I'm just trying to picture when Goblins actually wants this card in their deck. So, like, do you cut a land for it? Because a land is the only thing I would rather draw Fissure Wizard than in the goblins. Like, every card in that deck is a banger. Like, if if you're holding a land, are you going to hope to draw Matron so you can find Fissure Wizard and cash in your land for a random card? No, you just Matron for a good card. Like, I, other than, like, some sort of Moxus Reanimator side package, I, I just cannot imagine this is worth and the it, deck space. It, it I will caught, say this, like when, three, when you
1: have a Goblin War Chief. Visual Wizard becomes a legacy competitive, I won't even say competitive, Um, maybe playable card. Like a one red, two one that uh, loots. That's rummages. Rummages. That's good enough. Uh, I don't know. Like me in Goblin seems
2: cute. I don't know. This sounds like an Epic Storm player trying to tell people to do bad things with their tribal decks.
1: Um, That deck's (laughs) Goblins. What a joke. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Muxus goes 500 damage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brrr. <laughs> oh man, I lost to Muxus a lot this weekend.
1: You've been building up the last two days all about this card. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Luminarch Aspirant?
0: Alright, um, so Luminarch Aspirant is one and a white for a 1-1, and at the beginning of combat on your turn, you can put a plus-one, plus-one counter on a creature you control. So someone sent me a decklist with this, and I went, eh, I don't really think that card's playable. And then I tried it out, and I went, oh my god, this card is great. Uh, I, I was just completely blown away by what this card did. Uh, I'm trying to keep this bit short, because I could like, write an article on this card very easily. But essentially, it's a 2-mana win condition that doesn't require you to put any other resources towards making it better. And if you compare this to something like Stoneforge Mystic, Stoneforge costs two to play, and then two more to activate, and then usually two more to equip. So Stoneforge Mystic being good usually requires a mana investment of four to six mana. Whereas this card being good requires a mana investment of just two, and it makes every other creature in your deck more viable. And also unlike Stoneforge Mystic, the more of this card you draw, the more threatening. The second Stoneforge mystic tends to be far, far worse than the first most of the time. And every time you draw multiple of these, it's just like, oh my god, the damage that I am stacking up each turn is is just insane.
2: Yeah, the triggering immediately is huge too. Just like, turn two, cast it, go to combat, it's a 2-2 two, two now. Like, and, and in Death and Taxes, where you want to bolt everything, like, you you want to save your bolts to crumble the House of Cards you have only have a couple turns until this is a 4-4 four, four and you can't bolt it anymore. And, like, I'm not going to want to bolt this thing. I promise. Like, you, you cast that, I'm like, I'm going to save my bolt for a real card. <laughs> and then I just get beat to death by this 2-2 two, two, or 3-3. Three, three.
1: I think in the games that you're describing, it is very good. But I think it's, like, good when both players agree to only fight each other with knives. Like, if we're both, like, going to fight with knives, like, yeah, this is great. But, like... If I'm coming there with a shotgun, this card's just garbage. Like, if I'm playing combo, this card doesn't do anything. Or if I'm playing control, like, yeah, you have this card that turns your Stoneforge miss, or I guess Stoneforge is a bad example, your mother runs into a 2-2, but that doesn't matter if I'm in a dead of winter you. Um, so, like, I'm just, like, I, I I do think that it's probably better than other options. I'm just, like, a little bit hesitant because I think, like, maybe you got a lot of fair matchups and... That's usually not what DT plays. Like, at least in my experience, they want a lot of cards that like have abilities that impact the board. And I guess this does a little bit, but not quite to what I was thinking. Maybe you can sell me more on
0: it. Yeah, I totally understand that. Um This card's actually quite good against combo. It's way better than Stoneforge Mystic against combo. Because this is a mana investment of two, and then all of your stupid beaters become real threats instead of, like, insects that are picking away at you slowly. So, like, versus combo, stoneboard Mystic a lot of times just gets boarded out because it's not doing what you want to do, whereas this stays in the deck because it helps to close out games faster. It also helps to play around some of the anti-creature cards that see play. So it gets your creatures out of, like, say, Massacre or Pyroplasm range. Um... It does some work there, and specifically against Control, plus-one counters are great against Oko. Like, if you get two counters on something, and then your opponent is like, oh no, I can't really elk that anymore, or it's a 5-5, five five and it's bigger than my elks, like, that's certainly better than Stoneport Mystic with either Jitte or Batterskull, and probably on par with Stoneport Mystic for Sword of Fire and Ice. That one's a little harder to evaluate, but, like, there's more mana investment involved. It's very awkward against Death Touchers, though. Um, that's one thing that I'm noticing.
2: It's pretty good against a specific Death Toucher, though, of Plague Engineer. Like if you put a counter on the mom and a counter on the Thalia, you're still playing, where you wouldn't be otherwise. Yeah,
0: and if you put a counter on this thing, the turn it comes down like right. if, like before the Plague Engineer is in play, like you're you're okay. It's it's in a weird position where it's simultaneously, like, amazing and horrible versus Plague Engineer, depending on what turn it is.
2: Right. Yeah, depending (laughs) on who who sticks it first, basically.
0: Um, One problem I did notice with it is that having it in the deck means that there's a large number of X-1s. That's mostly okay right now, because Plague Engineer is the primary negative one hate, and not all your creatures are just going to be humans all the time. But, like, when you play against something like Goblin Chain Whirler, nope. Just dead. Splat.
1: So, Phil, uh, going back to your point about Massacre or Pyroclasm, at least in the Storm community, myself and a few other people have telling, and telling people, like, Dread of Night and Massacre aren't cards you want to be playing anymore. Well, there's the obvious the fact that, like, up until maybe this weekend, Death and Taxes hasn't been that viable. Like, it's just a sad truth. Uh, but people are saying, like, well, Death and Taxes is coming back, and I got Thalia, and I want to play Massacre. That is the natural response to losing a game to a card you don't like. The problem with that is that Massacre doesn't answer Death and Taxes like it used to, so, like, they now have Deafening Silence, and as Phil mentioned, they have Mindbreak Trap. The cards you care about now aren't all 2-2 two, two creatures. It's not, like, Sanctum Prelate or Sworn Canonist. It's an enchantment and a 4-mana spell You need your cards to be a little bit more diverse. So what I'm wondering for you, Phil, is like, do you still think that heavily about Massacre? Because I think it's going to start going like, I would expect less people to have it for you and less Dread of Nights in the future.
0: Yeah, I don't remember where I was talking about this, um, but there aren't actually all that many sweepers in the format right now, like true sweepers. Um, Snow lists have one or two Dead of Winter. And Miracles is not really all that common anymore. We're not in the days of, like, four Terminus, two Supreme Verdict every couple of rounds anymore. And that's part of what makes Luminarch Aspirant actually viable. Like, if there's a whole bunch of sweepers in the format, Luminarch Aspirant is butt. Like, you can't play that card in a field of Supreme Verdicts. Like, that just doesn't make sense. So, like, Luminarch Aspirant is definitely going to be a a card that I will consider in every Death and Taxes I build deck i build for the foreseeable future but it's not always going to be right for the deck i don't think
1: i will say this i agree with you that there's way less sweepers than ever before but i did get to see a toxic deluge for 20 last week so
2: yeah one of my favorite feelings in magic is being at 21 or more life with a control deck against depths it's like go ahead thread the needle over there buddy i'm still gonna untap and win Love it. All right. Do you have anything else about that card or are we ready for the last one I mean, on our I list? I
0: can, too? but like, I feel like we're good. We did a lot of DNC talk last week. Yes,
2: yeah, uh, submit that article to the uh, the Thraven University. Let's save it if we're over there. So, the last card on our list is Forsaken Monument. This is a five mana legendary artifact. Colorless creatures you control get plus two, plus two. Whenever you tap a permanent for colorless, add an additional colorless. And whenever you cast a colorless spell, gain two life. So I saw this card and I I rolled like, oh, this is... Shops is going to play this and I'm going to lose to it even though it's kind of janky. But I thought that uh, Eldrazi aggro would be too streamlined for it. Like, where do you sneak this in? Do you even need it? Your creatures are already bigger than everyone else's creatures. And that's probably true. But the Eldrazi post deck kind of really likes this. Uh it was a three of in the Eldrazi post list that got fifth in the challenge. Um with four sphere of resistance. And we're like, vintage now. Let's go. Yep, we're we are just vintage now. So this uh cancels out this this like better than cancels sphere of resistance. So like normally you 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 beat sphere by like having lands that tap for two. Now your lands tap for three. So you're going to be pulling way ahead of your own spheres if you stick one of these. Uh, Colorless creatures you control get plus two, plus two. Uh, Six mana Ugin is in a lot of these decks, and it's just shitting out four fours instead of two twos. That's a big deal. Uh, Most of the Eldrazi, like I said, are pretty big anyway, so I don't know if that boost matters much. But like face down creatures being four fours is a pretty big game. And, and the life gain is not irrelevant. Like, normally the way to beat these ramp decks is to reduce their life total to zero before they cast, uh, Ulamog or whatever. But that's going to be harder to do if they Forsaken Monument and then they're just like Sphere of Resistance gain two life, Thought here gain two life. Like, six, six Thought here gain two life? Fuck. So this is definitely incredibly powerful, but, is it going to be worth spending five mana to and a turn to make put it into play to invest in the future? That's the only trick. So I think it's only going to be viable in a ramp strategy that's already prisoning you out some other way. But uh, it's certainly powerful once it's in I play. was
0: super skeptical that this was, like, good enough. Like, I don't even know that I would have tested this if I was on post at this time. Like... I look at that and I go, "That's a five mana do nothing card." When I can cast Golos at the same mana cost,
2: yeah, there's a good chance it sucks. But someone certainly tried it, and they put up a result with it during week one. Um, I I don't know who that person is. Uh, I wonder if they would p- continue playing it or not. Uh, but yeah, my initial thought was the same as yours. Like uh, Mishra's Workshop casting this is annoying. Uh, three ancient tombs casting this go for it <laughs> so that that was my thought originally uh also specifically like meta wise like if you're playing if we're in like a, a miracles meta this card's probably great uh it's probably pretty good against Snoko. against delver you want to cast your five mana do nothing against delver like whatever so uh th- this card's a little skeptical but it is it, it the ceiling is high and the floor is low. I, I will say, I
0: do think the 4X Sphere of Resistance is kind of sexy. Like...
2: Yeah, that's very good against Delver. I
0: think I can get behind trying lists that do that.
1: We're getting back to that point where I don't feel comfortable, so <laughs> can we please not talk about Sphere of Resistance? Like, I've lost to enough so of these.
2: The, How many null Nullrugs? The official three. recommendation. <laughs> if you... If you take away one thing from this episode of the Eternal Glory podcast, it's that you should play four Sphere of Resistance, for Trinisphere, and for Mindbreak Trap don't in all of your decks. Look
1: for please. me in first place next week. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep. Uh, notable ancient tomb wizard Bryant Cook is going to win the challenge with Forsaken. No, Monument. we talked
1: about it. neoform Nick Fit.
2: Oh, right, 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 right. Phil's going to help me Watch brew out after this. I don't, I, yeah, that'll pull way ahead of Sphere don't of Resistance. I know that
0: I've had enough alcohol pull together a list like that
2: the night is young phil well,
0: you've put enough
1: donation deck lists we'll figure it out
0: i have no doubt that if you ask for it i could get my community to brew something up within 24 hours
2: well i want something that's going to win <laughs>
0: well no promises I-,
2: I think bryant is offering to do a donation deck list
0: <laughs> guest appearance on the stream coming soon question mark
1: all right, you gotta cut me in on those uh, big YouTube dollars you get, though.
2: Yeah, those fat stacks. You got that try guys money?
0: Get you like half of a good beer.
2: Only if, like, can we sh- can we share
1: a beer? Maybe like you'll drink half, you'll ship it to me, and I'll drink the other. No, I was thinking we
0: do like some sort of like cute double straw thing. Like we we can run angles. Yeah, this. just
2: like a long straw running from Bryant's house to yours. <laughs> <laughs> Are we off the rails yet? Should we wrap this up? I mean I think we've it? peaked
0: as a podcast there. I don't know what else we can say in this episode.
2: I I agree with that.
0: Alright, folks. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Glory episode about like oo-woo's and new cards and sharing gears via SCAUS. Uh, like maybe come back in two weeks and uh, listen to whatever else we come up with to talk about. Have a great rest of the day.